Come follow me, the Savior said. Then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, Season 2. This is a weekly podcast that follows my study of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each week, I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found online at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more fun, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Savior Said. Please note, episodes of The Savior Said are not meant to replace your Come Follow Me experience, but to supplement your own personal study of the scriptures. Hey guys, welcome back to The Savior Said. This is the episode for July 20th through 26th, Alma 36 through 38. Look to God and live. We've got some awesome scriptures this week. I really enjoyed these different, like, I guess, patriarchal blessings almost that Alma is giving to his sons and the advice that he's passing down to them. It was really beautiful to me. Um, just like lots of good, like, father-son kind of touching moments. But also within that, there was really beautiful doctrine that he kind of expounded. And I liked the scriptures this week because they felt very comforting to me. Like, it felt like a warm blanket reading these scriptures this week, which I think is what we need right now um, in this craziness of this world, everything that we have going on, to be able to focus on the scriptures, to look to God and live. Like, that's what I'm looking for. And I want to start off with something that's not even in the introduction. It's like right before that, you know how it has like little teaching tips or whatever? The little teaching tip right before that in this particular lesson, it says, As you feel the joy that comes from understanding the gospel, you will want to apply what you learn. And that's from Preach My Gospel. That is the truth. Because as I was reading this week and as I was reading those comforting moments where I was talking about Christ and coming unto Christ and strengthening us in Christ, that's when I found myself wanting more. I'm like, I want to be more involved with Christ. I want to be more involved with my scriptures. I want to feel the spirit more in my life. And I want more and more and more. And so I really saw that this week as I kind of delved into what we were learning about. All right, jumping in. So Alma has been through... He's had quite a life, kind of a super roller coaster of a life. And the introduction kind of talks about that, about, you know, going to the different places, the Zoramites, and, you know, he saw the wickedness, and he saw wickedness all around him. He felt sorrow and anguish of soul, but he didn't become discouraged or cynical about the state of the world. Pause there. Alma, how did you do it? How did you do it, bud? I mean, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But I have to tell you, I'm like, I'm getting very cynical about the state of the world. Every time I turn on the news, every time I go on social media, I mean, I'm getting a little bit more jaded and more cynical about the world. And that is not good. I don't like being that way. But what did Alma do about what he saw and felt? This is again from Come Follow Me, the introduction. Instead, he caused that his sons should be gathered together. And he taught them things pertaining unto righteousness. He taught them that there is no other way or means whereby man can be saved, only in and through Christ. Behold, he is the word of truth and righteousness. What I see there is Alma realizing, you know, hey, I can't change the world, but I can change my little corner of it by helping raise my family in truth and righteousness. And that was something I took to heart. I'm like, I can't change the world. I can't stop all the craziness that's going on and all the infighting and things like that. But I can create peace 
and, you know, a cease from chaos in my own little corner of the world, truth and righteousness in my own little corner of the world. And that's something that I have really tried to do this week, um, especially in my home. I'm really trying to keep the spirit here in my home. And it's, <laughs> it's hard. You know, if you've listened to this podcast, you know that my son and I are very similar very similar. We have very similar mindsets. Neither one of us likes to be wrong. We always have to be the one that's right. And so we always have to have the last word. And so we snipe back and forth. And, you know, that's just like some of our old habits. And so this week I've tried very, very hard to maintain, you know, that loving relationship with him. And he even made a comment. He's like, you're not as mad at me as you usually are during summer breaks. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm never mad at you, buddy. We just tend to like, me, 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 me. Um, So no, but so I've tried really hard this week to keep the peace and make sure that the spirit's here in our home. And I'm feeling that like, you know, as I said earlier, you know, as I'm reading my scriptures and feeling that comfort and feeling that glow, like I almost feel like this week's scriptural assignment is kind of like a beautiful glowing honey yellow. Like if I could assign a color to it, um, it reminds me of a beautiful honey glowing yellow, just that comforting color. And I'm trying to establish that comforting color, I guess, throughout the rest of my life as well. So that glowing yellow honey kind of just comfort hug feeling I'm trying to put throughout the rest of my life. So that was something I got. That's just just the introduction. I got so much out of just even the introduction. Okay. Going into Come Follow Me. Alma 36. I can be born of God as I am humble and repent. Few will have experiences as dramatic as Alma's conversion. Yes, come follow me. That is correct. Not all of us will have super dramatic angel angels showing up and us turning 180 degrees from the path we're on. So no, we will not have super dramatic conversions like that. But I did want to address something that happens in Alma 36. It's um just kind of a side note about Alma's conversion. Because in Alma 36, he talks about being out for the space of three days. But in Alma 27, 23, it talks about him, you know, being out for the space of two days. So which account is right? So let's go in and actually read from the scriptures. If we look at Mosiah 27, 23. It says, and it came to pass after they had fasted and prayed for the space of two days and two nights, the limbs of Alma received their strength and he stood up and began to speak unto them, bidding them to be of good comfort. Okay, that's Mosiah 27. Here's Alma 36, 10. And it came to pass that I fell to the earth and it was for the space of three days and three nights that I could not open my mouth, neither had I use of my limbs. Okay. Obviously, if you go and you read those side by side, you can see that there's some differences there. There's a difference in the narrator. Alma experienced the whole thing from the time he dropped to the ground to the time he popped back up again. Whereas in Mosiah, what we have is a whole bunch of people have hauled Alma the younger in front of Alma the elder. And when they get there, they're in 23, and it came to pass that after they fasted and prayed, they started fasting and praying for two days and two nights. So it may have taken like a day and a night to get to Alma the elder. I don't know. But for whatever reason, that was how long they fasted and prayed, where Alma was actually out for three days and three nights. Okay. I just wanted to point that out because it seems like there's an inconsistency there. And when we actually look at it, there's not an inconsistency. What we have is the accounts of like this group of people fasting and praying and Alma, his own story. Does that make sense? So I wanted to point that out. Okay, continuing on though with Come Follow Me. Alma's conversion is not as, or our conversions are not as dramatic as Alma's was. But there are principles in his experience that we can all learn from and apply because everyone must be born of God. 
As you read Alma 36, look for principles you can apply. For instance, how does someone who has been born of God feel about sin? How does someone who's been born of God feel about sin? Um, this is something that has always been interesting to me in my life. I can always judge where I am on like the covenant path or how close I'm coming to my heavenly father by knowing like what in that moment do I want to do? Like if I had, you know, total free time in that moment, what would I choose to do with my free time? Do I want to go read my scriptures? Do I want to listen to songs about Christ? Am I comfortable doing that? Or do I want to go, I don't know, go watch a movie that's not really that bad, you know, or go do something that's not really that bad. But I think in this case, good is the enemy of best. And so when I'm sitting there and I'm trying to realign my little spiritual compass, my little spiritual internal liahona, as it were, I need to make sure that, hey, I'm lined up to the point where I could just go and read my scriptures. And I know I've tried to explain this analogy to people before and they're like, Lexi, I'm fine picking up my scriptures whenever. And I'm like, well, that's great. It's just for me, I know I'm like, what are my wants in this moment? Like, what do I want to do? Do I want to focus on this or do I want to go focus on something more worldly? You know, and that's kind of how I align myself. You may be totally different. It may be one of those things that you could just pick up your scriptures whenever. And so it's not really that much of a liahona for you. But for me, that's really kind of how I tell where I'm at. Like, what do I feel like doing? How spiritual do I feel like being at this moment? And if it's not very spiritual, if I'm like making excuses or rationalizing whatever behavior it is that I really do want to do, then I realize, okay, no, I need to get back on track and get realign my compass to get where I need to be to be closer to my heavenly father. So I guess you could say that's kind of how, you know, I feel about sin when I feel like I'm closer to my heavenly father. All right. About Jesus Christ. How do we feel about Jesus Christ? Um, if you've been born of God, how do you feel about Jesus Christ? To me, when I experience those moments in my life where I feel absolutely, you know, born of God, Jesus Christ is my all. He gives me strength when I am weak He's my friend when I feel like there are is no other place to turn. Um, he's my comfort and my solace and my rock. And, you know, just depending on him and relying on him so heavily is what I do when I feel like I've been born of God, I guess. All right. It also says you could look for changes you might expect to see in the beliefs or actions of someone who is born of God. Okay. I just talked about kind of what I experienced in my own life. Beyond that... I found really good information in the Gospel Topics um, article for conversion, which Come Follow Me references that you go check out. So it says, conversion includes a change in behavior, but it goes beyond behavior. It is a change in our very nature. It is such a significant change that the Lord and his prophets refer to it as a rebirth, a change of heart, and a baptism by fire. The Lord said, Marvel not that all mankind, yea, men and women, all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people must be born again. Yea, born of God, changed from their carnal and fallen state to a state of righteousness, being redeemed of God, becoming his sons and daughters. And thus they become new creatures. And unless they do this, they can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. That's from Mosiah twenty-seven twenty-five. Conversion is a process, not an event. Conversion comes as a result of righteous efforts to follow the Savior. Okay, pause there. So here's an example of this for my life. You know, I was born and raised in the church. Went to the church my whole life, you know, and I had like little spiritual experiences along the way. And, you know, I was convinced that the church is good and the church is true. 
And then I went to BYU. And again, I, you know, church is true. Church is good. But I mean, I was kind of just like wishy-washy about it, you know? Um, I had one foot in the church camp and the other foot in the world. Like, you know, I just wasn't like wholly converted, I think. And I was working in the BYU library in the periodicals department there. And I had a coworker who was named Serena. And so Serena, if you're listening, you're getting a shout out. And Serena was a Relief Society teacher in her ward. And one week she was talking to me about a lesson that she had prepared that was upcoming. And she said to prepare for the lesson, she did an experiment where for four weeks she did everything that, you know, the church teaches us that we're supposed to. She read her scriptures every day. She said her prayers every day. You know, she fasted. On Sundays, she made sure that she followed the Sabbath day to the letter of the law. Like she followed all the rules and everything that we were supposed to do. She followed it to the letter of the law. And she was completely obedient to everything that we've been asked to do. Because at that point, you know, me being kind of wishy-washy, yeah, I'd read my scriptures sometimes. I kind of say my prayers. Um, you know, like I really wasn't very regular about that at that point. Um, I hadn't gotten to the point where I felt like I needed that in my life. And she was telling me about this experience she had where she did that every single day. And she went from kind of like, you know, being like me, kind of like, oh, I don't really need to do that, to doing it every single day. After the course of a month, she sat there and she was like, am I happier now than I was before I did this experiment? And she told me, yes, Lexi, like it was such a difference. And, you know, she was telling me about the joy she found in it. And I was like, okay, well, you know what? I can do that for a month. Yeah, reading your scriptures every day is kind of hard. And I guess, you know, committing to saying your prayers all the time, that would kind of, I don't know, be a nuisance or something. But I'm like, I can do it for four weeks. Like it won't be that big of a deal for four weeks. So for four weeks, I did it. Every day I read my scriptures. Every day I said my prayers, followed the, you know, spirit of the Sabbath day, did everything I was supposed to. At the end of four weeks, I was happier. I was more stable. I felt more committed to my savior. And I was like, okay, like this is it. Like I really honestly and truly felt my conversion happen at that time. And I think it was because of my obedience to the things that I'd been asked to do. Not just, you know, I wasn't obeying. I guess I started out obeying because like I was supposed to. And someone had told me that this is what I was supposed to do. And so that's kind of like why I started doing it. But towards the end, I started being like, okay, I'm doing this because it makes me feel good. Because I feel like I'm getting closer to my Heavenly Father when I do this. And that's when I felt like the conversion really started. Um, It was interesting to me during this time, sometimes I get this thing where I, like, I'll get phrases stuck in my head. Like, you know, like you get a song stuck in your head. Well, like sometimes it'll be phrases and then sometimes it's random stuff. But during this time, I had a couple days where I had the phrase, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren stuck in my head. And so, of course, I'm at the BYU library. So I'm like, you know, just messing around one day, typing in the BYU library catalog, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And you know what popped up? It was a book called When Thou Art Converted, Our Continuing Search for Happiness by M. Russell Ballard. And I found continual strength and tips in there that helped me continue along in that conversion process. And so that to me was probably, I think, like the bedrock foundation of my conversion. If I have to go back and pinpoint a point in time where I became converted, I guess you could say, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it was in that month. And so 
that month started a process of me being rooted in the gospel of Christ, not just wishy-washy and like, oh, I'm doing this because all of my friends and family kind of expect me to, and I feel kind of good. And, you know, this was the moment where I'm like, okay, this is it, you know? And that's where I really started finding myself converted. So this experiment of, you know, doing exactly what I was supposed to, reading my scriptures every day, saying my prayers every day, turned some really beautiful fruit, I guess, out of planting that seed, right? Come Going back to come follow me. These efforts include exercising faith in Jesus Christ, repenting of sin, being baptized, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and enduring to the end in faith. Although conversion is miraculous and life-changing, it is a quiet miracle. Angelic visitations and other spectacular occurrences do not bring conversion. Even Alma, who saw an angel became converted only after he fasted and prayed for many days for a witness of the truth. And Paul, who saw the resurrected Savior, taught that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. The Book of Mormon provides descriptions of people who are converted unto the Lord. Here's something that these people all have in common. The first one is that they desire to do good. And we learn this from King Benjamin when he says, The Spirit of the Lord omnipotent hath wrought a mighty change in us or in our hearts that we have no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually. Alma spoke of a people who could not look upon sin, save it were with abhorrence. Okay, another thing that they all have in common. They do not rebel against the Lord. Mormon told of a group of Lamanites who had been wicked and bloodthirsty, but who who were converted unto the Lord. And we read about that in Alma 23. These people changed their name to the Anti-Nephi-Lehi's and became a righteous people. They laid down their weapons of rebellion and they did not fight against God anymore or neither against their brethren. Another thing they all have in common, they share the gospel. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. That's the strengthen thy brethren part of that. Enos, Alma the Elder, Alma the Younger, the sons of Mosiah, Amulek, and Zeezrom dedicated themselves to preaching the gospel after they became converted to the Lord. Another thing that they all have in common, they are filled with love. After the resurrected Savior visited the people in the Americas, the people were all converted unto the Lord upon all the face of the land, both Nephites and Lamanites, and there were no contentions and disputations among them, and every man did deal justly one with another. And it came to pass that there was no contention in the land because of the love of God, which did dwell in the hearts of the people. There were no envyings, no strife, nor tumults, nor whoredoms, nor lyings, nor murders, nor any manner of lasciviousness. And surely there could not be a happier people among all the people who had been created by the hand of God. That sounds pretty awesome, right? Surely there couldn't be a happier people. So... Those are some of the things that I saw there in the conversion article from Gospel Topics. I love that those things that they all have in common, where they have a desire to do good, they do not rebel against the Lord, they share the gospel, and they are filled with love. And that's how we can kind of gauge where we are in our conversion process. And also, by looking at those different points, we can kind of say, hey, I need to work on this point a little bit more, and that can help strengthen our conversion process. All right. Oh, this next section is really cool. Okay, so Alma 36. Alma 36. This is where the chiasmus happens. So if you're like, what did she just say? Chiasmus is how you pronounce it. It looks like chiasmus, C-H-I-A-S-M-U-S, but it's pronounced chiasmus. So the chiasmus happens in Alma 36. 
And Come Follow Me talks about this. It says, you may notice some repetition in Alma's account of this conversion in this chapter. That's because Alma 36 is a great example of a form of Hebrew poetry called chiasmus, in which the words or ideas are presented in a certain order, leading to a central idea, and then repeated in the reverse order. To give you an example, because I am a visual person, I went and I looked, you know, researched a little bit about these chiasmus and um, what all it entails. And okay, I want you to think about like when you were learning about poetry in school, did you ever learn about the poems that like take place in a certain shape? Like maybe it's a poem about Christmas and it's in like the shape of a Christmas tree or a poem about love and Valentine's Day and it's in the shape of like a heart, right? Okay, so this is kind of like that, except for the shape that it is in is kind of like there's an arrow where it starts off. Anytime I've seen these these um, chiasmus like written out, it starts off where it's like longer at the top and then it gets shorter and shorter and shorter. And then you have the middle idea in the middle and then it branches back out again to get longer at the bottom. So it's kind of like, you know, in an arrow form almost like. From the Book of Mormon student manual, where you read a chiasmus, sometimes called an inverted parallelism, is a Hebrew literary form where words or ideas are arranged in a certain order and then repeated in the reverse order. This repetition emphasizes important ideas and words. In addition, the writer's main idea is often located at the center of the chiasmus. Alma used a chiasmus to tell the story of his conversion to his son, Helaman. The presence of the Semitic literary forms, such as chiasmus in the Book of Mormon, is an external witness that this book is what the prophet Joseph Smith taught that it is, a translation of an ancient text written in a Middle Eastern language. Okay, that point is really important because as I went into Alma 36 and I started looking for like the parallelism and to find like the different points of the chiasmus in there, it is a complex chiasmus. Let me give you an example of like a simple one. Okay, there's a simple chiasmus in Malachi 4.6. This one is, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers. Do you see how that kind of goes back and forth? So that's a simple one. Alma 36 is like a big old honking one. So it's a whole lot harder to find the different parallels and like what matches up with what. And I'm thinking about Joseph Smith, who, you know, in his translation, he's got a scribe there writing down stuff as he's going along. There is no way that he could have created a chiasmus like this on the fly. No way. This would have taken like days, if not weeks to like put together because it's so complex and literarily beautiful. So to me, that's a huge testimony of the authenticity of the Book of Mormon, um, these beautiful Hebrew literary forms that we find in there, like a chiasmus. Um, I wanted to show you another chiasmus before we jump into Alma 36. This one is from Mosiah 5, 10 through 12. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to emphasize the key word that's going to be reflected at the end. Okay, so you'll hear it as we go along. Okay, and now it shall come to pass that whosoever shall not take upon him the name of Christ must be called by some other name. Therefore, he findeth himself on the left hand of God. And I would that you should remember also that this is the name that I said I should give unto you, that never should be blotted out except it be through transgression. Therefore, and this is where we are, we're going to like flip back down. So you're going to see all those words listed back out again. 
Therefore, take heed that you do not transgress, that the name be not blotted out of your hearts, I say unto you. And I would that you should remember to retain the name written always in your hearts, that you are not found on the left hand of God, but that you hear and know the voice by which you shall be called, and also the name by which he shall call you. So do you see how it kind of like is symmetrical? Um, I actually have a really cool picture of that. It came from Book of Mormon Central, and I'll post it on my social media so you guys can see that chiasmus, like how that works in Mosiah 5, 10 through 12. All right. Alma 36 is a big old honking chiasmus. Instead of just one or two verses or a couple of like words, it's 30 verses. Okay. So I'm not going to go through and like, I guess, read the entire thing to you and like emphasizing words, but I'm going to go through and to kind of tell you the words that are going to be repeated. Okay. So number one, give ear to my words. Two, keep the commandments of God. Three, do as I have done. Four, remember the captivity of our fathers. Five, they were in bondage. Six, he did deliver them. Seven, trust in God. Eight, support in trials, troubles, and afflictions. Nine, I would not that you think that I know of myself, but of God. Ten, born of God. Eleven, I went about seeking to destroy the church of God. Twelve, neither had I use of my limbs. Thirteen, I thought that I might not be brought to the presence of my God. Fourteen, the pains of a damned soul. Fifteen, harrowed up by the memory of many sins. Sixteen, I remember one Jesus Christ, a son of God. And that is our middle point. So from that point, everything I just said in those 16 lines is repeated out in 16 more lines throughout the rest of the chapter. So that is the chiasmus that's there in Alma 36. And it's interesting because you have scriptural theologians and scholars, I guess, who like to go through the scriptures and find the different chiasmuses. And so the one that I read to you from Mosiah 5, that one was actually discovered by John Welch in 1967. And it actually has like his name, like discovered by John Welch in 1967. So I guess that's like a game that they like to play. They like to go through and look for the different chiasmuses. Is that that how, is that the plural chiasmuses? Chiasmusi? I don't know. Um, But yes, they like to look for chiasmus literary forms in the scriptures. But that was just something really cool. I thought that was part of this chapter. Okay, but continuing on to Come Follow Me, notice about how catching hold upon this thought affected Alma and changed his life. Okay, so remember that the middle thought that we caught hold of, I remembered one, Jesus Christ, a son of God. And then the reflected verse of that is, I cried within my heart, O Jesus, thou son of God. Catching hold upon who Jesus Christ is, and his identity, and his relationship to our Father in heaven, which then reflects upon our relationship to our Father in heaven, that is what we can hold on to. When times are hard and things are rough, you know, maybe we're not going through the pains of hell like Alma did, but we can be going through something pretty awful or pretty hard. Maybe it's not even that hard. Maybe it's just annoying. Like, it's just those little things, you know, we're going to talk about small and simple things, but sometimes small and simple annoyances can build up to be just like one bad day, right? And when that happens, 
we know that catching hold upon our Savior and on who He is and that He takes all that bad stuff away gives us hope for a better day. You know, I found myself being kind of down one day this week. And one of the things I went back, I went back and read Jeffrey R. Holland's conference talk, um, A Perfect Brightness of Hope from April, which, you know, of course, it's JRH. I love JRH and I love his conference talks in this one in particular. But it talks about how Christ is our hope. Um, We have hope for miracles ahead in our future because of Christ. Um, And that was just beautiful to me. And that helped me get through kind of a a yucky day that I had kind of going on. So let's move on into Alma 37. Okay, the first thing, this is another little side trail, a little interesting scriptural tidbit that we've got going on. I want to talk about... Alma 37, verse 23, and here's what it says. And the Lord said, I will prepare unto my servant Gazalem a stone, which shall shine forth in the darkness unto light, that I may discover unto my people who serve me. Okay, so I want to pause there. What is Gazalem? Like, that was my question. And it's spelled G-A-Z-E-L-E-M. I don't even know if I'm saying it right, Gazalem, but I think I think that might be right. Okay, so there's lots of different theories out there as to what this is. Um, some people say it even might be the name of the stone, but to me, it seems like if that was the name of the stone, that the verse would have different punctuation. It would say, I will prepare unto my servant, comma, Gazalem, a stone. But instead, we have a comma after Gazalem, which is a stone. So to me, that seems to emphasize the servant is that their name is Gazalem. I don't know. I went to the Interpreter Foundation, and they've got a whole article on this on all the different theories about what Gazalem is. Basically, it boils down to though that Gazalem is a Jaredite prophet and a substitute name for Joseph Smith. All right. It even says, playing upon the name of it possibly being a stone. I actually liked this part, even though I just like totally poo-pooed all over that. But it, they say, I will prepare unto my servant Gazalem a stone. This may well be a play on words. Is Gazalem the seer stone or the servant? It is difficult to tell from the passage and depends very much on the placement of a comma in that sentence. That's like what I said. Perhaps it could refer to both. And I like this theory. It is interesting to note that when Jesus called Simon Peter to the ministry, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a seer or a stone. That's from the Joseph Smith translation of John 1.42. Though this name or title of Gazalem may be used in regard to any seer who utilizes seer stones, it seems in this instance to be a direct reference to Joseph Smith, the prophet. So if you, like me, were wondering what Gazalem means, that might be a good answer for you. Go check out more resources at Book of Mormon Central. They've got lots of good theories and stuff and some research that backs it up. So I would urge you to go check them out. Alma 37 was one of my favorite um, reading this week. You know, I go through, I read the chapters like kind of singly first before I go and read them all together as a whole. And Alma 37 was probably my favorite chapter, which is interesting because I went back in to find, I'm like, why did I like this chapter so much? Like if I could capture up that, like that honey gold color of like warm afternoon sunshine, like it's shining from Alma 37. Like, and that just, I just 
loved Alma 37. I found such comfort in there. But then I went back in to find like the verses that I found that were so beautiful and comforting to me. And it's all about like works of darkness and secret combinations and don't do this and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, where was like this honey gold beautifulness that I was like so in love with? And so I had to go through and pick out some of my favorites. So the first one um, is Alma 37, 5. And it's talking about the scriptures. And it says, if they are kept, they must retain their brightness. Yea, and they will retain their brightness. Yea, also shall the plates which do contain that which is holy writ. Scriptures maintaining their brightness. Do they retain maintain their brightness in our minds and in our hearts? All right. And then I liked 6 and 7 because I was talking about by small and simple things are great things brought to pass. And I love that idea. We're going to talk about that more intently here in a minute. In 12... It says, it may suffice if I only say that these scriptures are preserved for a wise purpose, which purpose is known unto God, for he doth counsel in wisdom over all his works, and his paths are straight, and his course is one eternal round. To me, I loved that scripture, not because it talked about, you know, that the scriptures are preserved and everything like that, but I loved what it told me about the character of God and his personality, that he's full of wisdom And everything he does is intentional and everything he does, his paths are straight. His course is one eternal round. To me, he sounds like the ultimate engineer. (laughs) I mean, I guess I just think that because I'm in a town full of engineers. My dad's an engineer. And that just tells me a little bit about the character of God. And I think that's beautiful. I also love 33. Preach unto them repentance and faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. Teach them to humble themselves and to be meek and lowly in heart. Teach them to withstand every temptation of the devil with their faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. Teach them to never be weary of good works, but to be meek and lowly in heart, for such shall find rest to their souls. O remember, my son, and learn wisdom in thy youth. Yea, learn in thy youth to keep the commandments of God. I loved all that because of the teach them. And as someone who teaches people, you know, on a regular day, not right now, but, you know, for my day job, I guess in the fall, we'll start back up again. I love the idea of teaching them, teach them, teach them. That was beautiful to me. And then he talks about prayer where he says, cry unto God for all thy support, counsel with the Lord in all thy doings. Let thy, all thy thoughts be directed unto the Lord. This is all like 36 through like 37. When you do these things, you should be lifted up at the last day. And I love because we talked about in last week's episode, talking about prayer kind of being an umbilical cord between you and Heavenly Father. And that's kind of what I feel like he's describing in these verses. Then in 44, 45, and 46, he talks about, it is easy to give heed to the word of Christ, which will point to you a straight course to eternal bliss. And I loved the phrase eternal bliss. Like I cannot think of another like time in scripture where it's referred to as eternal bliss, but I love the bliss. I don't know why that word stuck out to me, but I think that's, it was just really pretty. I really like bliss in there. Okay. So those were just some of my favorite themes that I saw in Alma 37. We're going to jump back into come follow me now. The scriptures have been preserved for a wise purpose, is this section. And it says, have you ever thought about what a miracle and blessing it is to have the scriptures today? Yes. Yes, I have. Because here's the thing. (laughs) I worked with middle school students for a really long time. And middle school students, a lot of times, and even now that I work with kids, and 
both of them, I mean, they're, they're like little, little people, right? Because they're going to grow up one day and become adults. And so sometimes you can get like a glimpse of insight into adult behavior by seeing the behavior of middle school students. Not always because middle school students are a little squirrely, but, um, they do tend to lose things. That's something I have noticed. And I have noticed that there are adults that I know that tend to lose things. I have noticed that I am an adult who tends to lose things on the regular. So the fact that these scriptures were passed down from person to person without getting lost, I think that's pretty significant, Um, especially because we as people just tend to like forget stuff and like leave stuff behind. And I mean, hopefully the people who like were writing in these scriptures and passing them on, cherish them enough to keep it like sacred and special and put the scriptures in a special place. But I don't know. It's human nature to tend to lose stuff. So it's amazing to me that they lasted this long. And then when they were found again, everything that Joseph Smith and the early church had to go through to get these scriptures out, I've been listening to um saints the that the church put out. And I'm on volume one right now. But I was listening to like, I got to the part where they are publishing the Book of Mormon and everything that they had to go through to even get it published. You know, like it is amazing to me, the miracle and blessings that went along to get the scriptures to what we have today and the blessings that it brings into our lives. Um, I talked about how the scriptures were a huge part of my converting moment, um, that moment where my conversion really first started. They're still a huge part of my conversion. You know, there's a saying that says, if you want to talk to God, pray. If you want God to talk to you, read your scriptures. And that to me is what the scriptures are in my life, is when I want to hear God talk to me, I go to my scriptures. They're the word of God, meaning like they come from him. And that's what he's talking to me about, or that's what he needs to tell me that day. And the spirit that comes along with them helps me understand those ideas. And so that to me is what it is. It's the word of God in my life and being applied to my life. Come Follow Me says, look for the blessings that come from having scriptures that you see in Alma 37. All right. So some major points that I saw was in Alma 37, 1 through 5, the Lord would preserve the brass plates and the Nephite record in a marvelous but simple way. The scriptures are designed to enlarge our memory. They convince us of the error of our ways. They bring us to a knowledge of God and the plan of salvation. Following the words of Christ will carry us beyond this veil of sorrow into a far better land of promise. And that was in verse 45. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, this is, it sounds like it's a blessing far off. Like, you know, the scriptures, you read the scriptures your whole life. And after this life, you will have eternal bliss. You know, Um, that's kind of what that scripture sounds like. But here's the thing. You have a day that's full. It's a veil of sorrow. Your day was just bad. It was a veil of sorrow day. And then you go and you read your scriptures and your spirit's lifted up. And all of a sudden you have like promise. You have hope for tomorrow. That sounds to me like a far better land of promise. That's an immediate goodness of God thing that comes from reading the scriptures. If I need a lift... I go and I read my scriptures, and no matter what's going on, I, I get that little bump of like, okay, things are going to be okay. Things may be really bad right now, but it's going to be okay, you know? And so I see that carrying us beyond this veil of sorrow into a far better land of promise. All right. Also, I found this really good quote from Elder David A. Bednar. He says, the scriptures contain the words of Christ. And they are a reservoir of living water to which we have ready access and from which we can drink deeply and long. 
you and I must look to and come unto Christ, who is the fountain of living waters, by reading, studying, searching, and feasting upon the words of Christ as contained in the Holy Scriptures. Okay, pause. So it was interesting to me that he differentiated between reading and studying, between reading, studying, and searching, and between reading, studying, searching, and feasting, that those are four different verbs. I guess it's verbs. Yeah. Verbs that we can apply to the scripture, to the scriptures and our study of the scriptures. So I was trying to think, I'm like, what's the difference between reading and studying? And I think to me, come follow me has really brought me from just reading my scriptures, which is what I was doing every day to studying them and understand the concepts that are in them. And then once I do that and I have questions from Come Follow Me, I will go out and I'll search for answers for those questions. And then that in turn creates a feasting on the scriptures. Okay, let's jump into the next section of Come Follow Me. By small and simple things are great things brought to pass. Um, my dad was a bishop in our ward, and the whole time he was bishop, he had the scripture written on a whiteboard in his office. So while he was counseling people, he was able to talk to them about the small and simple things in their lives and what they were doing to bring about the great things in their lives. And that's what he counseled everyone who came into his office was, are you doing the small and simple things that you need to do as a family to bring about great things in your life? Are you saying the prayers together as a family? Are you doing family home evening? Are you doing family scripture study? Are you doing the small and simple things that you need to do personally to bring about great things in your life? And so every time I see something about small and simple, I'm like, oh, okay, that reminds me of dad and and everything like that. So it's kind of sweet. All right. Sometimes this has come follow me. We may feel like our problems are so big and complicated that the solutions must be big and complicated too. Yet time and time again, the Lord chooses to use small and simple things to accomplish his work and bless the lives of his children. As you read Alma 37, 6 through 7, ponder and record ways that you've seen this principle at work in your life. So this is what Alma 37, 6 through 7 says. Now you may suppose that this is foolishness in me, but I say unto you that by small and simple things are great things brought to pass, and small means in many instances doth confound the wise. And the Lord doth work by means to bring about this great and eternal purpose. And by very small means the Lord doth confound the wise and bringeth about the salvation of many souls. What are some small and simple things the Lord uses to bless you and accomplish his work? Okay, pause there. Come follow me. Pause there. So one of the things that I thought about when I was reading this was not necessarily small in like a physical sense, but I guess like a related word would be like imperfect or broken. And I started thinking about how the Lord works with us who are imperfect and broken. Small, I guess you could say, in like the things of the world or even small spiritually sometimes. And he works with us to bring about great things and bring great things, you know, to pass. I'm thinking about like David and Goliath. David, I think, was probably physically small, but he was able to go out and slay a giant. You know, I think about Nephi. Nephi was really young when he went out with his family. But look at all the great things that Nephi brought to pass. Um, An entire like people, the Nephites were named after him. And Nephi was just like a teenage boy when he left Jerusalem, you know, by small and simple things. Abish, her testimony, that may seem like a small thing, but she was able to go and round up the Lamanites. Small and simple things bring about great things 
in the like grand scheme of things for God. So that was one of the things that occurred to me this week is that we may feel small and simple. We may feel like we don't have anything to contribute or that we're not special or, you know, maybe we aren't good enough. We may feel small, but by small and simple things are great things brought to pass. Just because we feel small doesn't mean God can't do great things with us. And that was one of the things that kind of came to me. Um, Come Follow Me asks, what are some small and simple things the Lord uses to bless you and accomplish his work in your life? Okay, and for this section, I want to do something that we have never done before in the Savior Said history. I want to hear from you. Like, y'all get to hear me talk every week. I want to hear your answers to this question. So just as a reminder, we are in Come Follow Me, Alma 37, 6-7 through 7 section, and it says, As you read... Alma 37, 6 through 7, which we've just read, ponder and record ways that you've seen this principle at work in your life. What are some small and simple things the Lord uses to bless you and accomplish his work in your life? That's what I want to know. So I want you guys to think of what are some small and simple things the Lord uses to bless you and accomplish his work in your life. And you can either, like, if you want to talk it out, you can record it on your phone. If you just look for an app called Voice Recorder, most of our smartphones come with that app already preloaded. And you can just record it as a voice memo. And then you can email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Or if you would feel better about, like, writing up a comment, you can just write up a comment. You can email it to me. You can post it on my social media, on my Facebook or Instagram. I'll be putting a post out there asking for, um, you know, the the comments that you guys have to send in and it will be featured in an upcoming episode. So please, I want to hear how the Lord is working in your life through small and simple things. And I think we can all gain good things by sharing these stories with each other. So please write that and record those things and send them in to me so I can share those with others. Okay, so I want to take a moment to talk about chapter 38. It's not mentioned in Come Follow Me, and I think that's kind of funny because I'm going to tell you why here in a minute. So chapter 38 is Alma's counsel blessing given to his son, Shiblin. And to me, this whole chapter feels very much like a middle child. Like, you know, he's been talking to Helaman, and you can tell Helaman's kind of like the older son who's like doing everything right, and he's going to take charge of things, and he's kind of giving the record over to him, and, you know, very much like eldest child syndrome. And I say that being the eldest child, knowing what that feels like. But I do have a sister. There's five kids in my family. And I have one sister who's the middle child, and she always says she gets overlooked. She always gets overlooked. No one ever pays attention to her. And, you know, it's middle child day, but someone's probably going to forget it because she's the middle child, and everyone's always worried about the oldest child and, like, the youngest child, which we see in this case. Alma goes on to talk to his son, Corianton, who's got all kinds of stuff going on in his life. And so he says, spends several chapters talking about that. But Shiblin just gets this one chapter 38. And it's so small, it doesn't even get mentioned in Come Follow Me. Bless his heart. Bless his heart, Shiblin. Bless your heart. So I want to point out some things that I think from this chapter that were really sweet to me. Um, It was the whole feel of the chapter, I think, is the Lord saying, Shiblin, I recognize you and I know you, even though you're a middle child and you only get like one chapter when your two brothers got like multiple chapters. I see you. And I see the good that you are. And specifically, I was really impressed with verse 2, where Alma was telling Shiblin, My son, I trust that I shall have great joy in you because of your steadiness and your faithfulness unto God. 
For so you have commenced in your youth to look to the Lord your God. Even so, I hope you will continue in keeping his commandments. For blessed is he that endureth to the end. So that tells me Shiblin is, again, with the middle child thing, he's just a good kid. Like, he's grown up well. He's made good choices. Like, no reason to worry about him. And that may be another reason he only gets one chapter. It's okay. It's okay to only get one chapter, though, just because he's doing right. It's good. And in three, he says, My son, I've had great joy in thee already because of thy faithfulness and thy diligence and thy patience and thy long suffering among the people of the Zoramites. The reason that those two verses stuck out to me is because they list several characteristics that I feel like I do not already possess, but I am like, working towards and that those are some of my goals to be steady and faithful, to be diligent and have patience and be long suffering. Those are all qualities that I want to develop in myself that I don't already see there. And so that really stood out to me. So Shiblin, I just want you to know I see you. I see you, Shiblin. You're not forgotten, even though you're the middle child. I see you and I loved your chapter. Okay, so that pretty much like rounds up our come follow me experience of this week. But, you know, I talked about the Jeffrey R. Holland Perfect Brightness of Hope conference talk that I read this week that just, you know, brought light to my soul. And so I want to share with you a couple of the quotes from it just to end this episode. Okay. He says, so when our backs are to the wall, and as the hymn says, other helpers fail and comforts flee, among our most indispensable virtues will be this precious gift of hope linked inextricably to our faith in God and our charity to others. Paraphrasing, one of the most inspiring valedictories ever recorded in scripture, I say with the prophet Nephi, my beloved brethren, after you have received these things, I would ask if all is done. Behold, I say unto you, nay, you must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men. And if ye shall, saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. May we press forward with love in our hearts, walking in that brightness of hope that lights the path of holy anticipation, which we have been on for now 200 years. I testify that the future is going to be as miracle-filled and bountifully blessed as the past has been. We have every reason to hope for blessings, even greater than those we have already received, because this is the work of the Almighty God. This is the church of continually continuing revelation, and this is the gospel of Christ's unlimited grace and benevolence. All right, that's how I want to end this episode this week, because this is the gospel of Christ's unlimited grace and his benevolence. I'll leave that with you guys. Have a great week. I love you guys. Bye, y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. You can also find me on Instagram. Comments or questions? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. 
Thank you for listening.